Hello, everybody. My name is Bridget Tyre, and welcome to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you to lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in anxious times. And I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by my colleague and co-host, Irvin Nugent. Irvin, it's wonderful to see you and be with you. How the heck are you? I'm doing great, Bridget. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I, I love the fall and I'm anticipating some changes of leaves, which are it's my favorite time to go out for some walk and there's a little nip in the air. So I, I'm loving it. It's it's really wonderful. Yeah, that nip in the air, which has just arrived, right? Especially the early mornings and then the evenings, yep. it signals yep. a change. It's just yep. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a very interesting topic for today, I think. We're calling Mm -hmm. this episode The Upside of Anxiety. Mm. Love it. And to our listeners who have been following (laughs) along, they may be, what? Uh, Because Mm. we have talked a lot. In fact, even in the last episode, Mm -hmm. we reminded our listeners that anxiety, while it keeps us safe and ensures survival, it can have some pretty significant consequences, right, for our lives and for our workplaces. And yet, and yet in this episode, we're going to kind of look at it from a different point of view. There are some incredibly powerful benefits, obviously, because anxiety has hung around all these many years. (laughs) And so what can we learn about how it benefits us and what might this provide for us in terms of how we better leverage this powerful, powerful instinct Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In our lives. Okay, so Irvin, I am wanting to ask you right away, can yep. you think of a time mm-hmm. when you were pretty anxious and it turned out to be something that was really helpful? Like the anxiety, maybe it wasn't particularly pleasant, but it, it ended up helping you in some way. You know, the one that that really I can focus on is my response and specifically my business response to COVID. So when COVID came, of course, massive anxiety and and at many different levels, but certainly uh, I'm in the profession of speaking and training and they tend to be all live events. So all of a sudden before my very eyes, my business was wiped out and wiped out uh, for at least six months in advance. And of course, that uh, was incredibly full of anxiety. What's next? You know, what do I do? But you know, what was interesting about that time as well is that I think the anxiety helped me to focus. It helped me to really discern what's important now in this moment. What do I need to do to keep my business afloat? Mm. And, And I made a couple of decisions. One decision was I want to write a book. And I've never found time for that. And the second thing is I'm going to turn two or three of my most popular trainings and get them up running virtually as soon as I possibly can. And let me tell you, I worked with a, a focus that was second to none because, boy, I can get distracted and I can get <laughs> rabbit holes, et cetera. But I, I got up every morning at five o'clock. I wrote for three or four hours um, for the book. And, and then in the afternoon, I, I did a little more work around um, getting the virtual up. So that for me was, it was not a great, I mean, business-wise, I was, it was full of anxiety, it was uncomfortable, but boy, did it help me focus. And, mm-hmm. and 
really, I came out of it with a new book and with some trainings that were all virtual. Oh, I love that. And I can relate to that because I remember when the pandemic first sort of broke in March of 2020, one of the things, one of the commitments I made to myself was to use the time to be creative. Mm. So I, I really resonate with that. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely. Yeah. How about you, Bridget? Can you think of a time when you were really, really anxious, but that anxiety helped you to avert a threat and to create something different? Well, yes. I mean, and I could give a similar example to the one you just shared, but I'm going to go back way, way back to when uh-huh. I had a newborn daughter. Mm. She was my second. Mm. We brought her home from the hospital. She was a couple of days old. And, you know, newborns are very um, sleepy. Sometimes you have to jog them and try to wake them up to eat because they're just really tired in those early days. So that was normal to be expected. And she was very sleepy. But I started to get anxious because I looked at her and I thought, she's listless. There's something here that isn't right. And I I can feel the chills in my body right now, reliving the anxiety. And I said to my husband, I don't know. I don't think she's well. And he goes, she's fine. She's eating. The hospital said she'd be really sleepy. She's just sleepy. She's going to be fine. But you know what? The anxiety was like this ringing alarm bell that would not shut up. Mm. And I had to listen to it. And finally, I picked up the phone and called my pediatrician. And I thought, I bet he's going to say the same thing my husband said, which is, you know, she's fine. You know what he said? Get her to the hospital immediately. Wow. Oh. Said, Get her to Children's Hospital down, downtown. Mm. I said, oh, oh, my gosh. And sure enough, and we did, obviously. And she had a very serious infection wow. and uh, a high fever. And she was in the hospital for five days. Whoa. Had I not listened to that instinct of deep and relentless anxiety, it yeah. could have been really disastrous, you know? And I, I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because both of us spoke about the unpleasant nature of the anxiety itself, yeah. but the result was great. And, and yeah. I, I think anxiety can feel, well, it does. It feels so unpleasant that often we want to just get rid of it. You know, the last thing we want to do is walk around feeling incredibly anxious. Yeah. You know, and so we try everything we can to, I think, get rid of it. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, does that ring a bell for you too? And like, have you ever coached somebody or maybe just in your own experience where somebody was feeling so anxious and either they wanted to get rid of it, but they couldn't, you know? And it just kept persisting and lingering and so forth. I don't know what comes to mind. You know, it's interesting. So I think there was actually a conversation. I had a coaching conversation I had last week, and it was with a client whose colleague is in a position where they have to assign different tasks that need to be done. And what was interesting about the conversation was that this person 
who's assigning the task is a deeply, deeply anxious person and anxious about the whole process and full of self-doubt. Are they getting it right? And, and what will happen if, if the task isn't done? And, and really, you know, um, I'm living through that anxiety. And, and she said, you know, they went for coffee the other day and the person was just talking about, oh, I hate it. I hate, I hate this anxiety I feel. And I go into work and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I open these emails and there's four more things to be done. And I assign them and I worry and fret about them all day. Are they going to get done? Are they not? And and she said, I I I, I know it's said, like I know it's not my responsibility, but I can't help it. And so it's this constant state of unease and this desire just to 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 offload it, to get rid of it. It really is persistent within them. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that it's like it's such an uncomfortable state that our resistance to feeling uncomfortable becomes part of the problem. Yes. Right? Yes. It, com- absolutely. it, it complicates it. It snowballs. Yeah. It. Yes. It's like, yes. Oh my God, I'm anxious. I don't want to feel anxious. That makes me feel mm-hmm. more anxious and it makes yep. it harder to think our way through the issues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this is interesting because you know, what if, what if the very unpleasant nature of anxiety is part of its magic that because we so one, feel uncomfortable, and two, can't easily rid ourselves of it, right? Maybe that's part of its magic. All right. So I think what we got to do is we got to get right into, you know, the benefits of anxiety and and the neuroscience. What does, because, you know, Irvin, I know, especially you love to share with our listeners the neuroscience behind this. So there's some interesting connections between brain chemistry and anxiety and the benefits of anxiety. So I'd love to hear about one of those. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We've already said that, you know, anxiety has, has some benefits. And one of the things that helps is avoid danger. You know, we're here today because of anxiety, blessed anxiety. It has helped us survive. And one of the ways, you know, and it's so beautifully exemplified in your story of, of your child is that it propels us to action. You know, we, we, that anxiety you felt, you know, even though you were hearing different voices around you, you know, you, it, it propelled you to act. And thankfully, you know, that action um, had thankfully turned out well for your, uh, for your child. And that's so important. This, this incessant uncomfortableness moves us. And so, you know, it's interesting. I think both of us were, were talking about a book that we had read, which is called Future Tense by a great author, uh, Tracy Dennis uh, Tawari. And in that book, I think she does a great job of helping us understand that anxiety is not just about avoiding threats, but it's also about reward. And so the, what we know is that anxiety releases dopamine in the brain. And we, we've talked about dopamine, which is this feel-good hormone. And and how does that happen? Well, this anxiety motivates us, as we already said, we want to avoid these bad outcomes. And so therefore, we're motivated to do to do good to have rewarding your your motivation was to call the doctor and say, hey, I I think something's up here. So it it propels us into a good action. And and when that dopamine is uh, released, this desirable uh, outcome is achieved. We feel uh, relief and all of a sudden the anxiety lessens. And so that release of dopamine, it's, it's both, uh, contains both of these pleasures. So we have the rewarding outcome, but then also the relief 
that goes uh, with doing that. And so therefore, what's being taught within us is that uh, doing something good with our anxious feelings is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, need to, we need to pay attention to them because there may be a message in here. And therefore, it's motivating to take effective action. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody would assume that anxiety is somehow linked to the triggering of dopamine, which is a mm. feel-good hormone. Yeah. And, and yet it, it is linked to that because it motivates us to achieve desirable outcomes. And when that outcome is achieved, we feel great and we yeah. feel relief. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's reminding me <laughs> of an experience I had not that long ago where I was giving a keynote for, uh, I don't know, maybe I think there was going to be like 220 people there. And, and, you know, of course I get a little anxious, a little nervous. Cause if I didn't, that would be weird, but yep. um, I've given a lot of these. So I wasn't particularly anxious until kind of like the day before or two days before I started feeling anxious, like unusually anxious. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is weird. I've, I've given so many of these. I sort of wanted to just get rid of it. You know, just don't pay attention to it. It wouldn't let go mm-hmm. of me. And so finally, I, I, could, I, I just said, okay, I, I got to get back into this. So when I went to prepare for it, you know what I found? Mm-hmm. I found that I had inserted, I knew this, I'd inserted some new information that I was going to teach and share that I'd never done before. And I, I didn't have examples. I was not prepared for that little segment. And that was what I was anxious about. So I spent some more time figuring out how am I going to say this? What examples am I going to share? And I go and give the presentation and lo and behold, I nailed it. But if I had not yeah. Felt uncomfortable enough to look and see what was not yet ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. I might not have hit a home run. And when no. I hit the home run, I got to tell you, the rest of the day and into the next day, I, I thought I was on drugs. I was. I was on dopamine. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I felt it. so fantastic. And so yeah. I totally get this now connection with the dopamine and the achievement of an outcome and the relief. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's fascinating. So anything else that you want to share neuroscience? Yeah, it's interesting as well. So, so along with the dopamine, there also anxiety stimulates the release of oxytocin, which we have mentioned before. Oxytocin is popularly called the cuddle hormone, the love <laughs> hormone, the bonding hormone. And oxytocin is this, this neurotransmitter that makes us yearn for others, that makes us yearn for company. And think how beautiful that is. Mm -hmm. So we are triggered in anxiety. And then part of the reaction to that is, can I draw close to others? Can I connect with others? And, you know, I started uh, giving you the example of the pandemic. And, And, you know, we had so many beautiful examples of the pandemic. Here we had this existential threat and one of the reactions, even in, even in our inability to be physically close with each other, to create avenues, be it in Zoom, be it in phone calls, be it on, on balconies we saw of people singing with each other for connection. I have a very dear friend, and they, they had a rather strained relationship with one of their parents. And yet what was so beautiful about this, when COVID happened, you know, all of that went out the window. 
and there was anxiety about their parent who was was who was rather you know advanced mm-hmm. in age and they lived out of state so they 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 couldn't really connect with them and so there's this overall concern about how were they coping they started to initiate phone calls which really had been few and far between mm-hmm. and and you know she said to me you know I came out of covid with a much stronger relationship with my parent, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was so beautiful. Yeah. Of how, and, you know, so that's important. And, you know, even if it's superficial, the research shows that, that that connection can relieve anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and especially when we've been through tough times, the presence of loved ones, the, the, the presence of connection helps mm-hmm. our, nervous system to regulate and 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 to feel this the 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 threats we face you know i often th- i also think of another situation that you know some of my earlier work in the us i work with uh, some people fleeing the civil war mm-hmm. and i was an immigrant myself from ireland and and i know that one of the places i used to like to go was an irish pub ah. because it was familiar and i i had, I had a connect so so you know moving to a new country is is incredibly stressful yes and uh and yet where do we go we tend to flock around connections our own community people from from our country of origin it it helps us make to derive comfort etc and so that's so common you see that in immigrant communities and really that's what it's about it's about supporting one another and relieving some of that that intense anxiety they feel by reconnecting with others uh from their homeland and and others who who share uh similar cultures. And, and you see that a lot. So, so here, you know, you have this, this uh, anxiety, which both drives us to action. It's unpleasant. It propels us to that action. And then one of the ways that that happens is by creating connection for loved ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned the author of, of Future Tense, and, and she really says it beautifully by saying it contains this beautiful fractual symmetry. Yes. Yes. It's amazing. So anxiety stimulates the release of oxytocin, which is the hormone that makes us yearn for connection. And that connection relieves the anxiety some, but also helps us face into danger more bravely. Yeah. Ah, Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I love the idea of you wanting to hang out at the pubs. (laughs) Hey, I totally get it. It's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Bridget, now given these powerful benefits, so it's kind of like looking at anxiety, maybe in a different way. Talk to us a little bit about how can we leverage that? Mm -hmm. Um, How can we experience it more as a benefit rather than as a burden? Yeah. Well, I think you just said something that to me is a clue to the very first way to leverage this, this powerful instinct as a, as a benefit, which is to shift our perspective on it. Anxiety mm-hmm. has a bad rap. Yep. And yes, it has some downsides and it does need to be managed. And yet, if we just also, it's, it's not a but, it's not an either or, it's an and. And it serves us so very, very well. And just that shift in perspective can help us leverage it. In fact, I found this really interesting. So there's this test called the TSST, the Trier Social Stress Test. 
it sounds like a god-awful test, and it was given to people who were socially anxious to see how they would become more anxious. And you have to perform complicated math problems in front of a panel of people (laughs) who who tell you you're going too slow (laughs) and speed it up. It's like counting backwards by 13 from like 2000. Just listening to it made me anxious. Yes, likewise. So Harvard researchers, and I think it was 2013, had this idea like, well, what if we could perform that TSST test to socially anxious folks, a group of socially anxious folks, but tell them ahead about the benefits of anxiety, that it's there to help them focus. Like you said in the beginning, it focuses our attention. It floods our body with oxygen and blood so that we can perform at a higher level, right? It galvanizes Mm -hmm. us to take action. And it's there actually to make us more effective. And Mm. guess what? When they shared those benefits with people before the stress test, they had more confidence. They had less anxiety. And their bodily functions were at a much healthier level in terms of heart rate, blood pressure, and so forth. So see, just realizing that the anxiety is not the giant foe that we fear, but embracing it as a necessary part of of life and as an ally can go a long way towards leveraging this benefit, right? Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. I don't know. What about you? What do you think is another important way to do that? Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of riffing off that. I think as well, another way is to perhaps distinguish between helpful and unhelpful anxiety. Uh, we've already introduced this as helpful, but like, you know, unhelpful, you know, how, um, how many times do we wake up at night sometimes and we're feeling anxious and we're racking our brains? What am I anxious about? I don't know. It, it's it's kind of floating there. It's it's It doesn't make any sense to us. There's no real threat or challenge. And we don't, therefore, because of that, we don't know what we can do to get rid of it. And, you know, that's just really unhelpful. Or sometimes what's unhelpful as well is when we have a false alarm. We're highly attuned to things that are going on around us. And sometimes our alarm system isn't the best. And sometimes uh, it goes off when really uh, there isn't a fire. And there isn't a, a fire literally or metaphorically going on in our lives. We just have to realize that this is just unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is then perhaps to realize when anxiety is helpful, that when anxiety is, is pushing us, this uncomfortableness we feel pushes us towards taking specific action to a challenge. You know, what, what can I do? What action can I take? What might be this encouraging me to do? So instead of saying, oh, I feel this nasty anxiety is like, oh, that's interesting. Well, what can I do? What's, what's the next step? Where do I need to focus my energy? Where do I need to focus my attention? What's the message in this? Maybe there's, there's an, a gap between where I'm at and where I need to be. And maybe this is a, a challenge, a propulsion to, to, to move myself into that. And I think that can be really helpful, distinguishing both of those and then really taking action mm-hmm. when that's, it's helpful anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's great because we do know that sometimes the anxiety that we're feeling is off. It's like a faulty yep. alarm system, right? Yep. And yet at the beginning of this episode, you and I shared examples where the anxiety that we felt was insistent and mm-hmm. specific and 
urging us to take action. And we did. And so I, I just find that really, that distinction between helpful and unhelpful anxiety really important. Yeah, yeah. thank you for sharing that. So Bridget, we always try and end our episode with something concrete, a practice that people can take with them. So any ideas about a practice for helping us really see the upside of anxiety? Yeah. So I'm going to call this practice dissolve and deploy. Now Mm. in a previous episode, we talked about the four D's of anxiety. I think it was distract, displace, dissolve, and deploy. I'm Mm -hmm. just focusing on two of those, dissolve and deploy. And I'm going to build off of what you just said, because the first step of the practice, when we're feeling anxious, is to take a, a breath or two and discern whether the anxiety is the helpful kind or the unhelpful kind, right? If it's the unhelpful kind, that means it's, it's vague, it's generalized, it's not giving us clues as to what it's about or how to take action, or it might be that there's nothing we can do at that moment, right? Maybe, maybe we know what we're anxious about, but there's nothing to be done about it right then. Or perhaps it is the helpful kind, like you just said. So after you know which is which, if you discern that, you know what, this is not helpful right now, then you dissolve it. What does that mean? You let it go. You take Mm -hmm. a break from it. You put it in a little box for safekeeping. Mm -hmm. And we know how to do that. The best way to dissolve unhelpful anxiety, the best way to let it go is to do the things that calm our nervous system and that bring us into the present moment in touch with our sensations, in touch with our physical surroundings, whether that's taking a walk, whether that's doing breath work, whether that is listening to music. We know what those things are that bring us fully into the present moment. That's the best way to dissolve anxiety that's not helpful. Now, of course, if it's the helpful kind, we want to deploy it. We want to put it to good use. We want to be purposeful with it. Like you were in the pandemic, you took that giant mass of anxiety and you were purposeful with it in terms of creating uh, training courses, right? In terms of writing a book. I mean, that's fantastic. That is what anxiety is really there for. It's meant to be used in a purposeful way to create a new and better future for Mm. ourselves and for Mm. our loved ones, right? So that's the practice, dissolve and or deploy. And by the way, you might do a little of both. You might dissolve some anxiety that maybe you're going to revisit, but in the moment, there's nothing you can do about it. So you let it go. And then you come back to it when it, when its message rears back up again, and you're in a place where you can listen to it. Wow. I love that. Dissolve and deploy. I need to learn more of that. I need to, I need to, and that's a practice I think I want to embrace in my life. So amen. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully we've kind of given you some way of perhaps looking on this word of anxiety a little bit differently because so often anxiety does get a bad rep. However, 
anxiety also has some wonderful purposes. And hopefully you've begun to see that of how it is this, it can help us propel ourselves to take action, which uh, ultimately can lead to the release of some wonderful reward dopamine. It can propel us to create community in which we find safety, uh, which in turn can help us then further take action. And, and I love the whole practice of dissolve and deploy. And perhaps, you know, instead of seeing good old anxiety as the enemy, actually a friend, befriend it, because it can help us move into new action and uh, can truly help us create some new decisions and, and solve problems in our lives. So thank you, Bridget. For our listeners, please subscribe to the podcast. If you think that this will be useful for some person in your life, uh, feel free to share it. We love to know what you're thinking. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, uh, please email us at resilientleadershippodcast at gmail.com. Next episode, uh, we are going to look at uh, a discussion around creating rewarding workplaces. So I look forward to that as well. Bridget, thank you so much. Thank you for really helping us shed a new light on anxiety and thinking it thinking about it in a different way. Irvin, thank you for this conversation. I feel like I learned so much. And as you said, I'm going to put the dissolve and deploy practice into practice in my own life. So thank you listeners for being with us as always. Goodbye. Have a great week ahead and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.